to Leadership in Crisis podcast. With the COVID-19 cases growing worldwide, many business leaders are in turmoil and undecided how to steer their organization in this pandemic. However, we found few transformational and charismatic leaders transformed their organization quickly and made profitable and saved thousands of jobs in 2020. And now with the announcement of availability of vaccines, CXO leaders are expecting a positive 2021 and want to establish a reimagined and robust 2021 and beyond. So do you want to know the secret sauce, how to transform the organization? I'm sure you are. This is your host, Swami Sri Parambadur, and you are listening to Leadership in Crisis. And we have invited a special guest, Ralph Flora from Lumentum. Lumentum is a market leading designer and manufacturer of innovative optical and photonic products enabling optical networking and laser applications worldwide. Ralph is an accomplished thought leader who provides support, guidance, strategy to business and boards. Bring the strong combination of IT expertise and business acumen, deep experience in technology and management and some of the world's most iconic brands. Ralph is a chief technology officer, business leader with significant business transformation and technology enablement experience in driving growth and productivity improvements in both large and mid-sized enterprises. Broad experience across tech, e-commerce, CPG business models, strong record of success in creating a robust technology organization. He has proven ability in adopting maturing technology organization to solve business issues while managing costs and risks. So that's why we call Ralph is also one of the great transformation and charismatic leader who is taking this organization into the new heights. Ralph, welcome to the Leadership in Crisis. Thanks, Swami. Uh, I think from that intro, uh, what I, I would summarize, the short version is I've been around a long time. <laughs> That's absolutely correct. And that experience shows. So, uh, you know, that, that gives a, a, a quick uh, intro. As you have been a long time and you are going through this pandemic, so from you, let me first go through the future of the business aspect of it before I go what we have gone through. So what is the future of business to you means? Yeah, so I mean, it's a broad question, right? Um, a good friend of mine points out that we've been through you know, the Great Recession, the Great Depression, and so on. He describes uh, the current environment as a great uncertainty. Uh, and I think like it or not, uh, we know that life in business is about change. Uh, changing how we identify opportunities and risk, how we manage, how we use technology, how we network, how we acquire and keep customers, uh, how we think about work itself. So the future of business in a nutshell is a story about how companies and leaders embrace change first, fastest, understand the implications of that change and can adjust in smaller, large ways uh, to most effectively be successful in their endeavors, right? And those that don't or can't are gonna be less competitive. You have put it in a very nice way, in a broad way. And I want to emphasize, you know, we are doing this on a very historic uh, day because today is the 46th president inauguration. And also we have a first uh, African and Asian 
uh, vice president, a female vice president. So it's a great, so that is also paving a great way for the future of business. So thanks for uh, doing with me on this on a very historic day, creating a history. Indeed, indeed. Thank you. So in this, uh, now let me go back, you know, I think 2020 almost we have to erase in our lives because of so many things. That is what we thought, but I think the leaders like you and us, we have been transforming. So from the roles and responsibilities perspective, how were your roles and responsibilities pre-COVID time, probably 2019, and then how you have transformed in 2020 because of the COVID? So can I give a little bit about yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. So, so as CIO at Lumentum, I'm responsible for what I would argue is a sort of traditional uh, organizational scope. Right? So I'm responsible for enterprise applications, servers, you know, cloud and on-prem, the network, uh, end-user services, uh, uh, data and analytics. Um, and increasingly, I think many CIOs also have uh, cyber responsibilities. So the CISO organization uh, re reports into IT as well. Uh, in addition to that, I'm a, I'm a member of the direct staff. So I directly report to our CEO and I'm a member of the uh, direct staff of the company. And so I contribute to corporate strategy, a lot of discussion around culture, um, the, in general leadership of the company. Uh, and while there's been no sort of formal or general uh, change in responsibilities relative to pandemic in the role I'm in, uh, certainly the issues we face, the topics addressed, the speed at which uh, we've had to do things um, have required adapting policy systems and so on. Uh, and so probably a quick, quick story there, my, you know, we used to meet, uh, we continue to meet, you know, weekly, we have a direct staff meeting and we covered various topics, uh, fairly well planned out, both operational and, and, and project and transformation related. Um, once the pandemic struck and we started the work from home cadence and, and so on, for uh, the better part of nine months, we had a daily direct staff meeting. So every day, I mean, senior leadership of the company would get together and cover the topic of the day. And it was sort of operational, hey, what's going on? Where are we? What's changing? And, you know, customer impacts, uh, employees, and so on. And what we found pretty quickly is you would think, would you would be focused on solving some supply chain problem or solving some, you know, uh, some technical problem or how do I get, you know, virtual something to work? Probably 80% of what we did, we focused on policy creation. We had no work from home policy. Certainly not at the scale that we're talking about. Uh, what are you allowed to expense? Can I expense a chair in my home office? Do I expense my internet connection? Do I, um, you know, what if I travel for personal reasons and then return? Am I required to shelter before I'm allowed to go back to the office? So we had to create a bunch of policy on the fly. And so our ability to think quickly, react quickly, and be willing to often make a choice, set a policy, and then revise that policy a month later when new data was in or new information came along, is I think one of the keys to this sort of effective leadership in the current era is the ability to basically change your mind and, and operate with the existing data. Excellent, excellent. So I think uh, you touched on a key point, you know, we have to think on the feet and we have to adjust to according to the situations and we have to quickly adapt to the situation and with the focus on what is the best outcome. So just to going back a little bit, uh, rewinding, you're talking about this, uh, so many people and of course, work from home was there, but never at this scale. So how many people were suddenly they have to go and work from home from your side in terms of the uh, global locations? And how did you guys come up? What did you face any challenges? How long did it take to come yeah. on speed? So the reality is we're, um, uh, so as a company, uh, we're you know, less than 5,000 global employees. Um, but um, 
And, and much of what we do was fairly quickly classified as essential work, right? So we're not frontline workers from a healthcare or security perspective, but the products we make are essential products. So we make products that essentially power the internet. And one of the first things, of course, that happens when you lock down the entire economy is everybody needs a better internet connection. Absolutely. So our, our ability to supply product to you know, carriers, to hyperscale providers, to others, really allowed the global economy to continue to work and scale in this environment. So we became a very essential part of the supply chain of technology to enable uh, work from home and growth. So we have uh, factory workers that were going into the factories. We had uh, uh, engineers that were in, you know, in, in, in unique cases going in to continue to work on, on projects in the lab and so on. Uh, so uh, we had to institute very quickly protocols, right? Uh, comply with the local county codes and county protocols. Of course, um, most of our environments are clean rooms, most of our labs similar. So already people are wearing PPE and gowning and wearing masks and so on in, in our facilities in a general context. So what we had to change is things like, how do you enter the building? How do you go through the, the, the locker room and kind of change into your, your clean room gown? How do I enforce distancing? How do I do contact tracing? And so we, we, did, we spent a lot of time kind of activating that sort of work. But the net of it is about 85% of our employees shifted to a full-time work from home environment and about 15% uh, are, are in a, in a uh, essential list working in the office. Uh, and then we've managed to do that for, for it's a, the, the entirety of this at this point. Um, some of our, we're a global company. So some of our locations have essentially moved to a kind of more or less unlocked environment, right? So we have some countries who have, uh, you know, have gone through some of their they're, they're, they're working are down, but back to being more or less open and others that are much more restricted. And, and of course, unfortunately, some that have unlocked and then had to relock again. <laughs> True, I know. I think it was, you know, we have to follow the, what I call is a law of the land. You know, each country has different uh, policies, even though you have the company policies, but you have to, uh, you know, obey to the law of the land. And sometimes, uh, uh, especially, you know, I have some teams in India, so without even realizing, they said, okay, it is a 21-day locking period. Wherever people are there, they have to really stop. And in some places, it was very difficult to get the internet, but you know, we, we had managed. So I'm sure you might have gone through that phase. And then again, when we started back, everybody said, okay, now we are coming back to the normal before they stop. And then after a couple of months, again, they started the lockdown. So it was like a roller coaster. When it is on, when it is off, like, you know, but we have to be realized and then we have to think quickly on the feet. Well, and from a leadership perspective, one of the things we had to realize very quickly is while we could, we could attempt to be consistent at a global level from an executive perspective, we very much had to rely on and trust the judgment of our local leaders in country because they were dealing with that local laws. So they're complying with local law, we can support them, enable them, but we can't necessarily set global edicts, right? Because it, it isn't consistent everywhere. That's true. That's true. So uh, this crisis, you know, it's a nobody experienced, and this is completely a pandemic. So from you as a leader, from the IT side, and also as a corporate leader, strategic leader, how do you feel? Do you think you uh, need to manage the crisis, or you have to lead the crisis, or both? How was your journey? Yeah. Um, so, so I think there are clearly elements of both, right? If you think of leadership is influencing, motivating, enabling others to contribute toward the success of an organization, and management is a bit more directive, assignment of resources and execution to accomplish a certain plan or goal, 
then there are elements of both, right? You have to provide a vision and influence and, and motivation and inspiration, but you also have to provide the resources and the, and the goal setting and the, and the cadence to execute against that vision, right? So the pandemic, I think, pushed many of us into uncharted territory or making more bespoke policy decisions, as I mentioned, uh, engaging and motivating people under very unprecedented circumstances. Um, and it's been challenging and rewarding uh, and in times sort of sobering as a leader um, when, when it's very clear you just don't necessarily have the answers and you're, and you're you know, trying to feel your way through. So in this whole process, as we all know, some of these projects, we were always in a traditional manner say, hey, no, it is a two-year project, it is a three-year project. But with this pandemic, most of it has been pressurized and some of the things we really need to quickly deliver. And it has come to uh, probably months or weeks. So uh, this also has uh, uh, created a forcible innovation because you have to transform yourself. So what are the some of the key innovation elements um, under your leadership have been adopted? Anything you can share? Yeah, so if I, on, a, on a scale of one to 10, if I said uh, how virtual or how distributed a team were we, uh, the momentum would be an 11, right? We were very much an in-person, very touch and feel, like walk into the lab, see the product kind of kind of company. Uh, and we were working on a digital transformation, digitally enabling a number of things, um, but it was slow going, right? Because uh, it's a traditional company with very different uh, ways of thinking about that. And it, it would have taken us years to move to more of a video enabled, you know, whiteboard, you know, digital whiteboard collaborative kind of company and of course, that all happened in a month. <laughs> uh, and, and, and I think what's happened is it's now stuck, right? So if, if we had gone to lockdown for a month or two and then we kind of unlocked, it would have been temporary and people would have quickly forgot the experience. But I think what's occurred is leaders, um, so remote, in the past, we had salespeople who were remote, right? And that was about it. Mm-hmm. Well, those poor salespeople would try to reach an engineer, or try to get an answer to a question, and they're chasing somebody back at corporate, trying to get them on the phone, or they're on the end of a big meeting and they're on a phone call trying to get a word in edgewise and be heard or whatnot. So it's probably a very frustrating experience. Um, now, everyone in the company has empathy. They now understand what it's like to be on the other end of that call. And so, and it's been long enough that that empathy is ingrained where when we return to work, uh, even if people that return to the office, I think we'll carry with them a sense of, oh, um, you know, uh, Sean is remote. Let's make sure Sean is heard and has the materials and can see and, uh, and so on. So I think we're going to hopefully be a better culture for it because we'll have a greater, uh, you know, kind of sense of what it is to go through that and live on the other end of that, that, that line. I think you touched a very critical element of the leadership, the empathy, and some of this empathy we never uh, kind of uh, really experienced, but now you are forced to adopt it and give it because as you rightly said, most of the time we always think a person is remote. They said, hey, you know, he's not really contributing. We have to be in person. There is a lot of strict rules we have implemented even in my organization. You know, if you're not there physically, I think uh, we are not going to consider into this critical project because not you are showing. But now this has really made everybody an important element that, you know, person has to adopt and understand how others are feeling. And to that extent, uh, even like, you know, the speed of the internet. And now, like, you know, we are in a country like US and most of the people are affordable. We have a better internet and we have a probably a one gig net. But if you go to some developing countries or even in the US, I've seen some of the rural areas, there is always a network choke. And uh, on top of it, now it is a work from home. There is a work-life balance. Then the family is also coming. They have the 
you know, little ones, sometimes people used to run. And previously, yeah. before COVID, when we used to see, I know, dogs barking, our kids, it's a, what is this? It's a professional environment, what it is. So the whole thing has changed. So from the culture point of view, as you are also embracing the culture, so how is your diversity and the culture and inclusion and with equity is happening from your side? Yeah, so um, not only the empathy that uh, kind of comes from living living where you work and working where you live and kind of all the messiness that incurs from the family and the pets and the delivery of some person and so on. And, and of course, in the middle of a board meeting, the you know, landscaper starts blowing his blower and all, all that sort of stuff. Right? So we become, we, we realize people are human and we're a bit more aware and a bit more uh, open to the, to the kind of messiness of life. Uh, I think that's good. But then on top of that, we had the, you know, the, the, in the U.S. at least, and what became a global movement around diversity and inclusion, uh, um, which I think it really uh, opened a lot of people's eyes. Uh, it really, I think a lot of people began in a very different way than perhaps historically, began looking at um, systemic biases, began looking at, uh, in, in, uh, looking internally, hey, do we have enough diversity? Are we encouraging diversity? What's the difference between kind of saying we want a diverse culture and behaving in ways that encourage and foment and, and develop a diverse culture. And so internally, we've done a number of things around unconscious bias training, around a lot of discussion and storytelling from the executive team on down on how we want to change. I, I don't know that we had a problem per se. We weren't a, a, a hostile culture that wasn't welcoming and so on. Mm -hmm. um, but we very much want a culture that everyone feels part of the team. Everyone feels a, a sense of belonging. Everyone feels uh, valued and, and, uh, and, and can contribute. And um, we want to make sure some of the conscious and unconscious things we've done in the past, uh, you know, that we, we begin attacking those things directly and really start changing them. Okay, okay. No, that, that's interesting because it is definitely required and you have to adopt, or otherwise uh, you will not really progress personally and professionally. And especially now you at a, executive position where we are in, if you're not able to demonstrate by practicing, I think it will not definitely go in a better way. And people are watching, people are looking, and people are becoming more and more global. So I, I know, I think if you have read probably like a, 10 years back, there was a book called World is Flat. Now it is becoming more and more visible and more and more easy reachable because everybody is available on Zoom. Before we used to say, oh, maybe this guy is in Egypt or this guy is in India, maybe 12 hours difference, how do you do? Right now, everybody is able to capture. So that is uh, fantastic uh, information. So I just want to touch one more point on the leadership. You know, how do you demonstrate transformation leadership in your experience at this time? I know the transformation is critical. So what has transformed and how did you transform yourself as a leader? And how did you exhibit those to your team? You know, we have to make sure not just we doing it, but our team within the organization is able to adopt and do. It has to go down. Let me, uh, so I'll touch on that, but let me go back a little to the concept of empathy we talked about earlier, because I think that's at the heart of a lot of this as well. Uh -huh. um, so let's define empathy. So empathy, I think, is the ability to see another person's emotional state coupled with the ability to kind of imagine what they might be thinking or feeling, like to put yourself in their shoes, to be to, to, to be empathetic is to kind of try to feel what, what they're feeling, right? Yep. So I think I think of empathy as having kind of four major components or four major uh, activations, if you will. Okay. So one is really understanding the other person's perspective. So early in my career, I had a leadership coach where uh, you know, I would 
sometimes get frustrated with somebody because I was, we were trying to do something and they were kind of fighting the system. They didn't, you know, and I was like, you know, why are they being so difficult? Why are they not following the protocol or something? And the phrase they used to me is, um, it makes sense to them. And I said, well, what, what do you mean? Well, most people don't show up to work thinking, hey, how can I make the boss unhappy today? Or how can I disrupt this project? Or how can I be difficult, right? They show up thinking, hey, I'm going to do great work and I want to build good things. And I want to do something awesome. So if they're being disruptive, they're not being disruptive because they, they're just cranky. Often the, their disruption is because you don't understand how they're thinking. So they're, it makes sense to them. So how do you open your mind to have a different perspective? How do you try to put yourself in their perspective and say, why are they reacting this way? Why are they speaking this way? It, it really can help them understand you. And then I think the second is trying to stay out of judgment. So all too often I hear, um, you walk into a room and the leader will say, hey, we're gonna talk about these projects. Uh, there's plan A, B, and C, and you know, only an idiot would think we're gonna do project C. Now, what do, what do people think? What do you wanna do, right? So of course, hey, I am never, I'm never gonna mention C, even though I think, right? And so often it's things like having the, the senior person in the room speak last, because you don't wanna bias the other people's conversation, right? So stay out of judgment, stay out of the zone where people are trying to read you and please you so that you can get a, a genuine, feedback first, uh, 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 and so don't make comments that basically uh, infer others' responses are invalid or wrong. Right? I think third, recognizing emotions. Uh, we talked earlier, we're human beings. We have feelings, we have humor, we have frustrations in our life. We bring, bring all of that to bear uh, to, our, to our full selves at work. And so recognize, it's okay to be human, it's okay to have a bad day, it's okay to be frustrated and to kind of address that, right? And I think the last is communication. Um, an, an old you know, mantra of sorts, an old mentor of mine used to use this phrase a lot, uh, you know, people don't care what you know until they know that you care, right? So communication is about connecting with people. Hey, how are you? Hey, you seem frustrated today. Hey, you seem a little you know, agitated. Hey, what's going on? Yeah, you know, yeah well, sometimes I work for a minute. How's it going? Are you getting a chance to walk today? Have you been out of the office? What's going like? What's going on? Right, and that little human interaction can really help with the, this sense of empathy. Hey, they get me. He cares about me as a person. He cares about am I happy? Now let's deal with it first. And then we can talk about okay, how can we go solve this problem together? So I think empathy as a leader is really important. So now answering the question, no, I transforming. I, I, before you go, I just want to comment. I think you have. Touched are nailed a very key four components of the empathy, and they are really, really important. And uh, you have given in a very clear definition with some good examples. And uh, one of the things I just want to add a point to what you are saying is the uh, thinking from their perspective, you know, whether it is a customer or employee or whoever it is, it's always different because we only look at from our mindset, and you have to really open. So that's a, that's a really just thinking from others' point of view immediately things change a lot. And the last one you touched is the communication. And I feel, uh, I also want to know how you are doing uh, because we used to do a lot of those water cooler discussions and we used to do so many of those offline discussion. And in my career, most of the important decisions I did not take in the boardroom, but I took it in the off the boardroom where I could meet with persons eye to eye because sometimes people are very shy. Uh, people are not open up because of so many things. So I need to know a lot of different things when we have one-on-one. -on -one. And then that was a very simple communication used to happen. But now with um, 
we being virtual, we are trying to have a Zoom bomb everywhere, but sometimes yeah. it is still not that closure because you're not able to see their expressions and all and all. So how, how are you managing that communication piece now? Oh, yeah. It's tough. I'll tell you, um, you, you nailed it, right? I, I spend less time with my remote team, with peers, with you know, people that, I've, that I, I admire and or inspire me in terms of other, other leaders that I, I kind of follow and I've gotten to know. Um, I do, obviously, I maintain a dialogue with folks via video conferences. I try to make, you try to connect social, socially, you know, virtual happy hours and all these other things. You try to have a little bit of a connection. But boy, there's nothing like traveling to someplace, spending a time walking the floor with someone, yeah. kind of working on a whiteboard, and then having a coffee or going to dinner and, you know, connecting, like talking, spending just t spending time. There's nothing that kind of can replace that kind of in-person, just spending unstructured time together to get to know someone, to, to relate to someone. And, and, and often it's the, it's the offhand comment, kind of the, the throwaway comment that's, you know, later in the evening, they're like, wait a minute, that's brilliant. I, I had no idea you were doing that. That's, tell me more. Um, and I missed that a lot. I missed that a lot. Yeah. yeah, now we can talk about the transformation. Thing. Yeah, so, so transformation. So I think when most people ask, ask someone about transformational leadership, they'll respond with something like, oh, it's a, someone with inspirational vision. Uh, they're good at motivating people. Uh, uh, they, uh, you know, they can see the, 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 the disruption occurring around them, and they have a, a, you know, a vision to go create new disruption. And I, all, all of that's certainly important. Right? But to me, um, true transformation leadership is about building the environment that enables the above. Right. So it's not enough to be visionary. You, you need to understand what it takes to realize the vision. Uh, you have to provide that sometimes, often, invisibly. To your team, uh, to your organization. Uh, sometimes it's about building confidence in the team that they're capable of going to do something they don't believe they can do. Uh, so it's how do I build them up? How do I put them there? Sometimes it's about challenging them, kind of getting in their face and kind of you know, hey, I dare you to go do this. Right? So you have to find their motivation. You have to find a way to get there. And sometimes it's, it's the tools or processes. It's um, it's about trust. Hey, how can you as a broker go help create an environment of openness or trust? that the business is willing to partner with IT, even though maybe the last couple of projects haven't been entirely fulfilling or satisfying or successful. Hey, how do I suspend disbelief? Give us another, like, so a lot of the bro it's brokering work, it's resourcing work, it's budget, you know, fighting for budget, it's finding partners, it's, it's doing the kind of unsexy work underneath that's often un un unseen and unappreciated so that the vision can be achieved, right? So it's providing the stepping stones, the building blocks, uh, the, 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 the you know, kind of raw material that the team can use to assemble the vision. And, and that's to me true, true transformational leadership is all that kind of unsexy process work. The, uh, an, old, an old boss of mine again used to say, change is a context sport. It's that whole like working the organization literally person by person and understanding who the resistance are and kind of working with them and, and kind of helping the team to, to achieve. I think you touched a very critical elements, you know, most of the things we think, you know, there is a framework, we need to go in a structure, but it's a very unstructured and very unsexy work because a lot of the pieces, people are not motivated to work. And as a leader, you need to take that responsibility and engage the other people and also motivate and uh, transform those people to get the work done because there is always a bureaucratic, red tape is always there. There is always a funding. There is always a 
some kind of a nepotism happened there are different things happens in a bigger organization so as a leader how do you make those obstacles overcome those obstacles not just for you but your team whoever is going to deliver and your satisfaction is how will you really help those people succeed the way how they want to do with a goal of making organization as the center of point rather than a self ego centric model yeah yeah like sometimes transformation is about owning the anxiety <laughs> taking the the fear of failure the anxiety the ownership of change on your back so the team can focus on getting the work done i i think i like that one liner <laughs> taking the ownership of the anxiety i think uh, it it is like a very unsung hero right you know most of the people don't say it but it is very visible and as a leader you should so so thank you so much so as a just a closing remarks what i want to know i know you are a, uh, i see you as a more uh, strategic leader and giving all the information but of course you also hold the responsibility of the it so just as a closing remarks i want to know from your perspective uh, for 2021 and beyond based on our experiences especially more with the 2020 so what are the new toys in the it are coming i know i always uh, hear between you know you and i always uh, talk they are not toys but they are the tools you know i would love to know more about from you how is this uh, ai and blockchain and the emerging technology ar vr so what is that you see a, a trend in the industry especially in your area so what is that you can share yeah. I, i think probably th three big trends uh, so one um uh, i think ai and ml have been talked about for a long time a number of years now um i'm seeing more and more fully baked ways to deploy ai and ml to solve true business problems in a kind of closed loop end to end way so things like end to end planning our current planning process is like 82 steps and involves 16 major spreadsheets and like 30 small spreadsheets to do an end to end plan right it's ridiculous yeah. so by applying uh, some uh, using a, a cloud based planning engine and some other things we've been able to take uh reduce that by 80%. So fewer spreadsheets, fewer interim steps, fewer hand massaging by building more end to end uh work and all done via AI and ML models uh that begin to basically adapt and learn our business and be able to automate. So it's a big big category there. I I think secondly, particularly as people attempt to scale, people attempt to mitigate uh staffing issues and some other challenges uh that a number of businesses have had. Uh, I think RPA has become kind of the Uh, you know a kind of hero of the day now i don't know if it's a long term or rp is kind of a bandaid if you will to a number of the robot robotic process automation where people are taking rote processes repetitive processes and kind of instead of bpl outsourcing they're applying bots and technology to kind of do that work for people um and i think that's certainly become a kind of a star to address a number of gaps in today uh, to buy you time to go do the process reengineering in the back um I think three uh the advent of IoT uh, so sensor smart sensors uh, uh, acronyms aside smart sensors and things like 5G networking really if you haven't begun to rethink the way you you architect your network your business processes uh, and almost everything in the enterprise based on what changes will be wrought through those technologies then it's it's time to do so right because if changes Ben, not only bandwidth but it changes responsiveness it changes where activity can happen uh, much more at the edge much more uh, uh real time uh, it changes many many things in the way uh, it can enable business to be successful so those technologies and then i think lastly 
uh, certainly we sell, uh, one of our big businesses, we sell 3D sensors. We sell um, the sensors that help map the world around you. And I think VR and AR uh, used to be toys that people put in the, you know, in the little like, uh, you know, literal toys. Hey, I'm going to get a you know, VR headset and I'm going to go play online games or something. Um, increasingly in part because of the extended length of the work from home pandemic. Um, but I think we're starting to see commercial uses of for training for remote, you know, remote diagnostic and debugging and a bunch of other ways to interact with the virtual world very differently from a business context. Oh, excellent, excellent. You touched on a very, very key elements and I completely agree with you what you have seen. And uh, one of the things I just want to add some extension to it, you know, you talked about the RPA and also about the shopping. And uh, one of the product uh, we have launched uh, six, seven years ago is called uh, MapRecruit.ai. So it is a complete end-to-end uh, -end, uh, uh, cognitive capability talent acquisition platform. So that means right from one's uh, job description to first level of screening, everything can be done and it is all modular. And uh, even though it has done uh, almost six, seven years of product and is being improvising, last one year we have done so many implementations because now everybody is remote and uh, now everybody only option is to have a high volume hiring at a virtual onboarding and virtual interview so you need to have and then with this uh, black love matters and the diversity we need to be definitely have a, a critical uh, element of you know de-biasing right so we should not have any bias. Yes. so we have implemented explainable ai which will really talk about why are you selecting this person it is not because of the university where he goes or the name or the color, but it is because he has these critical skills which you are asking. So we are just masking and all. So uh, I think, um, you know, definitely you can also check up uh, the data which is serving. And another thing is we are just working on uh, uh, in a healthcare environment with the clinical trials and also we are creating this virtual uh, um, uh, labs because now people are there and we want to do this vaccine how people across the globe and this has really went to the next level because previously if you are in this particular country or this particular location you are really going to the lab and doing but now because it is becoming a virtual cloud so people can around the globe can add value and that is probably one of the results what i could see is the vaccine usually take 10 years but we could get it in few months and then people are already getting that healthcare worker so uh, that's um, definitely whatever you said is going to be the future and uh, yeah and we are also they started implementing practically you know no more ties you know they are the tools and it has to be solving the business problem so uh, thank you again Ralph for sharing uh, great insights on a, a historic day on uh, 20th January 2021 so I appreciate for sharing a charismatic leadership and uh, a great story about the empathy and how things are being uh, you know worked out in your own life and how others can learn from it so thank you so much for spending some of your, your valuable time here with us with the global listeners really appreciate it swami great being here and uh, great participating on this again historic day thanks <laughs> thank you